If you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you'll love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool, top-rated hotels. Even though their name's Hotel Tonight, you can also book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. Book hotels in 10 seconds in just three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. Halo Top is ice cream's biggest game changer. With Halo Top, you can enjoy all the flavor and deliciousness of ice cream without all the guilt. Halo Top has less than 360 calories per pint, but it's still delicious and creamy, just like ice cream should be. Halo Top is packed with 20 grams of protein per pint. They have over 20 incredible flavors to choose from, like vanilla bean, cinnamon roll, and even pancakes and waffles. Finally, you can stop avoiding ice cream and enjoy Halo Top. Halo Top is available nationwide. Find your pint at halotop.com. You can also follow them on social media at halotop.com. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. I'm ready for, I mean, this was the last weekend, essentially, without football. Camps for everybody will start by this weekend. The week after is the Hall of Fame game, and then we have till February just to stretch of football. I mean, it, it's, it's here. Today officially kicked off football season for me. I spent the morning in wonderful Bourbon, Illinois for, I don't know, maybe the I don't know how many seasons in a row I've gone to Bears training camp. It's at least like eight or ten. I mean, since they went back there, more or less. I've been going since I was a kid. So this is a new thing. I mean, it's not a new thing for me, but now I go for work. And uh, it felt like football season. Talking to people about football, watching football. It was fun to be back. Bourbon, Illinois, the only place I've ever stayed in my entire life at a hotel without a gym. Wow. And when I checked in at the hotel, they were like, uh, this was last year, the year before, they were like, uh, well, you can just, there's a gym down the street you can just use. Oh, okay. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's not surprising though. Uh, Bourbon A is about an hour and 10 minutes south of Chicago. A lot of, lot of Abraham Lincoln paraphernalia around yeah, that Yeah, there's not area. a lot down there. It's, uh, it, it, that's where Olivet Nazarene University is. Yep. But yeah, I, I watched Bears practice today, Kevin. It, it felt good to be back around it. A lot of Abraham Lincoln creep around there. Everyone kind of, even though he wasn't from there, specifically in Bourbonnet, uh, just kind of, uh, you know, statues, stuff everywhere. It's I think the land Lincoln, of, man. That's I what understand. I'm just saying all of Central Southern Illinois, Illinois all of Southern and Central Illinois claims to be the land of, I mean, the entire state, but I'm just saying, he's not, he's not from Bourbonnet. Come on. No, he's not. They'll tell you that Kankakee is Central Illinois, but it's not really. Anything south of I-80 is really Southern Illinois, and it does feel like that when you're down there. So, I was uh, yeah. like that with John Wayne. When you drive through Iowa, there's like four places. It'll be like John Wayne hometown. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> all right, buddy. We're going to talk about all things training camp today. We're going to talk about some of the things we're looking forward to in terms of storylines, some of the specifics that we pay attention to while we're at training camps, some of the things you should probably not be paying as much attention to that are a little bit overblown. So why don't we jump right into it? Let's start talking about some of the big picture uh, training camp things that we're watching, it's kind of some team-specific stuff, some trend-specific stuff. Yep. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you when you're thinking big picture training camp? Well, with this year specifically because of the draft we just had, yes. it's the young quarterbacks. Yeah, 100%. And some are more interesting to me than others. I am not necessarily fascinated by what happens in Buffalo because the competition is, is Nathan Peterman, A.J. McCarron, and Josh Allen. 
Uh, if Josh Allen plays week one, I won't be surprised. And I don't necessarily take that as indication of Josh Allen's skill. I, I assume he's not a disaster in that situation, but to beat out those guys is not a, a crowning achievement. I think it's more interesting when there's a more established starter in those places. Um, who's getting the first team reps? You know, I think the most interesting thing to me would be Baltimore. And then the second most interesting thing to me would be Cleveland and then Arizona, because those are all places where, you know, Tyrod Taylor is a good quarterback. Joe Flacco, maybe he's not a good quarterback, but he's been there for a long time and won a Super Bowl and they're, they're contractually tied to him this year. And then Sam Bradford's, uh, you know, trying to hold off Josh Rosen. And so I look at those as a really interesting thing. How do they split the reps? Because that's so important in this day and age, in this modern NFL. And so I, I just, I'm going to be watching those three camps as closely as, uh, as any camps in the league. Yeah, the Jets don't hit that list for you, huh? Uh, I, I almost, I mean, I love Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know what he looks like right now. And I, you know, Josh McCown is Josh McCown. I put that, I put the Jets in between the Bills and the other teams in the sense that, you know, if, if Sam Darnold's starting week one, that's no great statement on, on his readiness. You know, Russell Wilson sure. being a third round pick and beating out a guy they, they committed a lot of money to uh, in Matt Flynn in 2012. That's a story to me. That's like, wow, what the hell happened? Um, it's that sort of thing that piques my interest. I would say that the Jets are an interesting case. I'm fascinated by the Jets. I actually, there's a lot of smart people I talk to who think Darnold is the real deal. Um, but as far as camp goes, I'm not watching that. I'll watch them more in September. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think that if, if Darnold, again, if Darnold wins, it's not a commentary on him at all. It's more a commentary on the state of that franchise. But that's also kind of what I'm paying attention to with the three teams you mentioned. I feel like Arizona is almost the most fascinating of yeah. that bunch because they're starting over in other ways. I mean, the fact that now you're in the post-Bruce Arians era, you know, Steve Wilkes comes in there. It's really a, a turning over a leaf for that entire group. So are they willing to go with Rosen because they're essentially starting over anyway and they don't need some sort of stopgap or level of veteran competency on the way th like on the way through with the browns i feel like you have a better quarterback than you probably should be replacing with a with a rookie no matter where he was drafted yep. but you have Hugh Jackson who's maybe coaching for his job so maybe, the urgency maybe. there is a little bit different maybe. Sure, it probably would, is i mean yeah so the the urgency is so different in these places and i think that that plays into when guys are going to play, why they're going to play. And I think kind of when that stuff stops, when that stuff starts bubbling up and why is something to watch over the next month or so. Okay. So the Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco thing is fascinating to me. Joe Flacco for the first time since 2011 organizes his receivers in the off season for a little practice. I thought that was pretty standard boilerplate stuff. I sure. didn't know <laughs> that the Ravens weren't doing that. Uh, I don't, what was Joe Flacco doing in the summer for the past seven years? I don't know. Um, Lamar Jackson's getting rave reviews. He, Marty Morningwig says he's ahead of the curve. Um, you know, Jameson Hems Hensley tweeted yesterday that, you know, his, his explosiveness and, and his elusiveness is incredible, even though without pads, it's hard to tell, but you can sort of see that, that he can elude defenders. The Ravens have practiced plays where guys, quarterback, two quarterbacks touch the ball. And that's fascinating to me because we've never really seen that. And by the way, Lamar Jackson lined up in the slot at least twice, um, according to Mike Tanier, uh, this week. And so I don't, I, let's not overreact on that. I know, I, I know. I want to unpack all of this. Okay. Uh, so I want to ask you about each specific thing you just said. And this is part of our larger conversation, but essentially what matters during training camp and what yep. are you paying attention to? So quarterback quality. 
How do you gauge that in a training camp setting? And what do you pay attention to? And what do you think is just kind of noise? I think it's hard to parse, but I know in my mind what I give more credence to and less. Okay, so number one, if you're a fan and you're just trying to figure it out, reps is by far the most important thing. If you're not 100%. Practicing, if you're not practicing with the ones, you're done. I mean, that, that's it. And, and Lamar Jackson is touching the ball a lot and he's playing in different packages. And so I, I wouldn't rule out him him actually doing this stuff in a game. Okay, that's the first thing. I think. If you're why you can tell. I mean, I, I know this is unscientific, but you can tell. I remember, and this is this is in Baltimore. Last year I was in Baltimore and Joe Flacco was hurt. And Ryan Mallett was leading the offense. We were there the same day. And Terrell Suggs was openly making fun of Ryan Mallett in the middle of the place. I mean, just like, <laughs> are you serious here? Like, I mean, it was uh, the entire defense was doing that. It was unbelievable. And you could just see how listless the offense was. I mean, I think that when you, and, and, and Robert, you know this, the difference between knowing what you're doing and not knowing what you're doing is so readily apparent in the NFL, especially at the training camp level. And you think, oh, it's just training camp. I have seen dozens of times a quarterback run a play and you're like, this is not a functioning NFL offense. And I think that's yeah. the baseline. Last year, Scott Tolzien saw him in Indy, and he was, it was a joint practice with the Lions. He had no idea what was going on. He had no idea. He, he couldn't take the snap. And this is a guy, this is not a rookie. And so you start to realize then that there actually is a baseline of just looking like an NFL play. I mean, there, it's, it's actually quite hard to look like an NFL play, and a lot of guys don't get there in the first place. That's, that's the first thing. Beyond that, I mean, I think that there's, you have to put them in positions. You know, two-minute is a good thing. They, the teams do a lot of two-minute now. Um, a lot of no huddle because just the ability to get down the field to call the play to get everybody on the same page that's kind of hard that's a, that's quite a learning curve so I look at those sort of situations you know it's situational football um, Bill Belichick is the absolute best at saying okay it's fourth and two we're at the nine yard line let's go and I remember talking to Rodney Harrison about this last year and he was saying that you'd be surprised how few teams and how few coaches put guys in situations and let them thrive and I think if you're just going to do uh, okay, we're throwing quarterback to wide receiver. You're not going to learn anything for, about your quarterback. You're only going to learn if you put guys in situations and they excel, and that's how you learn about quarterbacks in training camp. If you are a coach who's not practicing situational football, you will learn nothing about your young quarterback in July and August. I think eye test matters, like you said. I, I totally agree with that. You can see that some guys have it, some guys don't. And then I think you run into problems when you start putting too much on the quality of individual play types and, and just like the stats. Does a guy throw an interception? Does right. a lot of balls get broken up? Things like that. And I'm going to use Trubisky as, as an example from today because I just watched it and the Bears are the only team practicing. So when you watch Trubisky today, he put such good touch on balls both down the field and to the second level of a defense. He yep. threw a ball to Trey Burton that was just, or I think it may have been to Sims, one of the tight ends, just kind of lofting it over the linebackers in front of the corners, which is gorgeous. He's very good at that, kind of changing the flight pattern of a ball and changing the touch on those balls, which is a difficult thing to do accurately. But then on some of the in-breaking routes and timing-based stuff that he threw today, you know, Amukamura picked off a pass. Another one was broken up. Not nearly as accurate because that stuff comes more from experience, timing, just the history with your receivers than it does from a general feel for football. And that's the type of stuff that's going to come over time. So I think putting less importance on plays like that and more importance on does he look like he's functioning? That's hard to do, but I think that you have to kind of get the different kind of, you know, the sliding scale of what you should be taking, which 
taking heed of and what you should not be. And that's hard to do again, but I think that's what I try to do with it. When it comes to the gimmick packages, things like that, mm. that stuff I feel can get way overblown. I don't really expect to see Lamar Jackson on the field very often with the Ravens in the first team offense. And if he is, is that a good thing? Like when is the last time that worked or was a good idea? What to have two quarterbacks in the backfield? Yeah. Just like, I mean, just using a quarterback as a gimmicky player for no reason. You're breaking up. Good NFL offenses do that. Hey, Robert, you're breaking up. Can you rephrase that? I'm just, can you say that again? Yeah. What, what good NFL offenses use a quarterback as a gimmick player in the backfield with another quarterback? When well, does this happen? The Eagles did it. They, Nick Foles scored a touchdown. But he, there was another the quarterback on the field. That was a trick play. Trey Burton played it. How dare you impugn Trey Burton's Florida uh, Gators quarterback career? Um, generally, I agree with you. Yes. When the Eagles take the field on that play, the defense isn't saying there are two quarterbacks on the field. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, that's that's the difference. I mean, it, it's a trick play based on like a, some loophole in personnel. No, of course. And by putting two quarterbacks out there, it, it just feels like it, it's gimmicky for the sake of it. and It doesn't give me much hope. The other thing you mentioned that I totally agree with, and I think it is the number one thing to pay attention to when you're kind of pouring over training camp reports, when you're reading beat guys and seeing what they're kind of relaying from practice reps is the number one thing. Yep. Who, who is on the field Yep. and who are they on the field with, you know, the bears today, they're, you know, they're not supposed to talk about like specific strategy things, but I'm not sure no one will find out uh, the, just the amount of three receivers with Burton as a receiver, stuff like that, you know, and just how much are they going to use Shaheen and Burton on the same, at the same time? How much are they going to use Cohen and Howard at the same time? And how often is that happening when Trubisky is playing quarterback and the ones are on the field. Yeah. That's the type of stuff I feel is worth noting just because it gives you some window into what they want that offense to look like and the players they want to be a big part of it. Yeah, and and one of the things I want to talk about as far as quarterback readiness, I remember Brian Billick telling me this, and I'll never forget it. Early in training camp, he said, you cannot tell who has it. You can tell who, who doesn't have it. Fair. And yes. you can, and, and sort of the way to evaluate early, I, 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 you know, obviously you want a Russell Wilson type superstar and who just obviously is going to win the job on August 8th of the rookie year. But more often than not, the way to evaluate is just sort of the absence of mistakes, the absence of not having it. Um, and, and that's, that's sort of the way you have to evaluate a lot of these guys. Maybe not necessarily at the quarterback position, but overall is just this guy doesn't suck and he keeps getting opportunities. Therefore, he's rising up the ranks. Not sucking, this- not sucking, a great quality to have in NFL training <laughs> camp because there's 90 guys out there. And I, let me let me put this in context, okay? And I, 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 I will always remember a coach saying this and they say it all the time. And I think about it every cut down day. The greatest player in their high school history, sometimes the greatest player in their college program, and they're the first cut on August 16th, August 17th. There's all sorts of guys like that who get cut without even thinking in mid-August and late August. Having said that, they're very good players, but a lot of them look like they suck on an NFL field. And you will notice that. If you go to a training camp, you will notice the guys that suck. It's an unfortunate reality, but the NFL is so fast and so good and so smart that you look like you suck sometimes. And we'll get to stuff we're not paying as much attention to or shouldn't, but there's also some danger in thinking guys look good 
in certain situations when that is not how you understand whether that guy is good. And training camp is ripe for things like that. The other part that that I want to talk about, though, and you and I have talked about this in the past, just in our own lives. But when you're at a camp, where's this going? No, just like just something we've always paid attention to. Just that when you're at a camp, there are times where you can kind of sift through the bullshit that's being fed to you and you understand when there's something good going on on a communication level at that camp. Yeah. And I think that you, you know, you hear like when we were on the Eagles last year, I think you just understood that was clearly a football laboratory that was going well. You know, they were enjoying kind of, I didn't go to the Eagles camp because I stayed with the most important person in football for a second day. Mr. Justin Tucker. There you go. I just didn't, I just didn't, visit that year's Super Bowl champions because they needed an extra day with J- Justin Tucker. Your priorities are in line, buddy, and I've gotta, always respected gotta that Gotta get about more you. Tucker. And just, it's this little stuff. And, and again, I think that you kind of realize when people are being genuine when they're not. And the does he have it or does he not factor plays into this as well. I was talking to Taylor Gabriel today and just him discussing what it's been like with Trubisky and kind of the lines of communication they've had since they got there. And he was just talking about the throws Trubisky made. And you can just see like there's a genuine reaction on his face when he's discussing some of these balls. And you think back to a a situation on the polar opposite of that is what happened with Blake Bortles and Al Robinson last year when they had those dual practices in Tampa. Remember when Robinson was just clearly like, this guy sucks. I mean, he didn't say it to his face, but he's like, put the ball in balance. Like, please. There is just a level of frustration that you get sometimes when you clearly know the guy doesn't have it. And I think you can tell when it's on the other end of things. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't hang around a team for that long if there's a problem and not discover it. Yes. You will always discover it. And a lot of guys are honest. A lot of guys, you know, half the time here, you can just turn off your tape recorder and just ask a guy if they know it's not for quotes, like, what's going on here? And they can yeah. usually say, like, we need... We need better quarterback play. I mean, these guys are are unfailingly honest in a lot of situations. They don't, you know, they're they're they know we're not stupid. They they know we can see the practices. So training camp is a very honest time of year. And I, I asked out Taylor Gabriel a question today. And I he got when he got to Atlanta in 2016, that was Kyle Shanahan's first year, right? Yeah. So it's the same situation. He comes to a new team, they bring in a new coordinator, install a new offense. Yeah. And I asked him if there were any similarities, and he said, actually, no, because at that in Atlanta, you had so many established guys, right? Matt Ryan is Matt Ryan. He's been Matt Ryan for a decade. And Julio is Julio. He's been that for forever. But when you get here, Trubisky's played you know, half of a season. It's different. You know, There's such an imprinting that's going on, and there's such a, just a blank slate that's happening. There's a lot more openness with not only are guys tweaking the offense for what they like to, they're imprinting the offense onto themselves. And that's a genuine answer. Like He's not going to make that up. It's interesting. And I think that you can kind of, at times, understand when that's actually happening and when it's not. Yeah. Um, next thing I want to talk about real quick is I think the one thing to watch I, I find very interesting is the new coaches, because you yes. end up, we talk about the players who can be revealed to suck. Um, I remember one of the funniest sort of training camp nuggets in the history of organized football in the last 15 years is that Jim Zorn didn't get his entire playbook uh, executed during training camp. And you start to read that stuff and you go, oh, well, Jim Zorn's going to be a disaster in Washington. He ends up, you know, having a good start and then surprise, he was a disaster in Washington. Um, those things can be revealed because there's a lot of guys 
who are installing packages and plays for the first time. They're leaders for the first time. Before this, they've either been position coaches or coordinators, and they don't know necessarily. I don't think it's a huge jump, but they don't know necessarily every facet of being a head coach. And I think those things reveal themselves, and the devil's in the details in those things. You can basically figure out whether or not a coach is going to completely flunk out by their, you know, by October of their of their first year because those little things add up. Sometimes the learning curve is a little too steep for certain coaches, and I think that you can glean that from training camp. I don't have any inclination or any suggestion that any of these coaches are not fit for the job, but it's just something to watch closely. Who are you most interested to spend time around? I mean, I don't know if, if they're on your list or not, or just even not spend time around, but which coach are you most interested in seeing whether they sink or swim and what the situation is with that? Which are the um, new ones? You know, I think that Matt Patricia is an interesting one. I think Matt Patricia is mm-hmm. a really good coach. I think that, you know, I'll be writing this in a couple of weeks, but but just the, the Patriots defense that he and Bill, Bill Belichick created is as interesting a modern defense as possible and shows sort of creative possibilities within a defense. I, I think that, that he did a really nice job with that. And then he he takes on a team with, well, I think there's a lot of talent there. I think guys like Golden Tate and Marvin Jones on the offensive side of the ball and Matt Stafford and, and you know, Darius Slay on, on defense, I think there are a lot of individual pieces that you can make work there. I think Jim Bob Cooter is an interesting holdover. So, I think they could win immediately if all goes right for them. And I think it's a it's a it's a tough division because a lot of people are talking about the Bears and you know you have Aaron Rodgers and they have Kirk Cousins joining you know one of the most complete rosters in the NFL. So it's a tough division to try to make a move in. But I'm really watching Patricia because I think that there's a lot of possibilities there for him. I'm going another Belichick disciple in a similar situation, and I think it's Mike Brable in Tennessee uh, for this reason. I think they have more talent than the Titans do or the, than the Lions do. I mean, that roster has some intriguing elements to me. Yep. And I don't know if Mike Vrabel's a good head coach. He was the coordinator of the number 32 ranked defense in terms of points allowed last year. Has that ever happened? Uh, Mike McCarthy was was a fairly bad offensive coordinator. They might have been dead last. That's right. I think that, yeah, San Francisco might have been dead last. By the numbers, I think they were they were quite That's bad. a good pull. I think you're correct about that. But so he goes in, and, and I obviously like Mike Vrabel's getting a head coaching job more from his ability to be a manager and more of a complete overseer of a roster than he is about any sort of schematic stuff. I think that's why you bring in Matt LaFleur to run the offense. Dean Pease is going to call the defensive plays. He's maybe the best defensive coordinator in the NFL, not named uh, Wade Phillips. So I can understand that he's more the Mike Tomlin kind of, you know, CEO of things, but I just think they have so much talent and I have no idea what's going to happen there. I think that if it breaks right for them, they're a really intriguing team because I really hate what they had offensively last year. And now you have a guy that learned at the knee of Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan in two different spots and is going to bring in a lot of those principles to an offense that has the talent to kind of make them work. So those are the two I'm looking at. I, I'm not as interested in Arizona just because Steve Wilkes doesn't interest me very much. I'm not as wow. interested in Chicago. Just owning Wilkes. Wow. I, I just it's don't just, care. They're not as interesting to me as those other ones. Steve I just don't Wilkes, think if you're listening, right I there. care about you very much, Steve Wilkes. There you go. Uh, I, and I think that the Bears, I just feel good about it. You know, I, I Maybe it will be a disaster, but I'm not letting myself believe it. In, in Tennessee, I have no idea how it's going to go, but sure. I think the highest upside version is pretty damn good. And by the way, Matt Patricia was the 29th ranked defensive coordinator as far as yards last year, 58, 5, 8, 5, 6. 
which is not incredible, but no, obviously it's not good either. Obviously, but again, that's not always why these jobs they, are given out. Exactly. Obviously, they made do. Hey, here's a coach we haven't talked about, John Gruden. It's amazing to me that John Gruden's just lingering over there as an NFL head coach. Hey, and it's not did, the first thing we always talk big about. Party he had the other night. No, oh, it was great stuff. Where was this? He, he went to a bar and just had all the Raiders fans come, and uh, his son, D, his son DJ'd. Great, that sounds awesome. We're, I'm heading where were there. We? Where were we on that? I'm heading there next week, and I literally have no idea what to expect. I mean, it could be anything, and I just wouldn't be surprised. Wow. Well, you missed. Yeah. You already missed the party, so I don't even know why you're going. That's a good point. Yeah, it's, there's no reason to take the trip out there. Okay, it's not as it's not super easy to get to, which is <laughs> one other part of it. But Napa or uh, Oakland at Napa? Napa. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's a drive when you get there. So you know, it's a yeah, beautiful sure. drive, but it's still a drive. Nice when you're there. Okay, so last thing I want to touch on, just the super teams, because I think that one of the things the salary cap has wrought is just a lot of stacking of talent and the ability to. Well, I wrote this last year, but the ability to stack superstars where years ago you weren't able to do that. Even four or five years ago, you were not able to have the superstars like you're allowed to have now. And the interesting contract structure. So you look at Los Angeles and you look at Philadelphia and all of a sudden you've got the Super Bowl champions. They've added Michael Bennett. The one of the best teams in the NFC last year at Indomitian Sue, Akib Tlaib, and Marcus Peters. And I'm interested to see how that interplay works. I'm interested to see just what the camp reports are. I just, I don't know because we haven't had that many super teams. Um, it's, it, it's a relatively new phenomenon. I don't know what to watch for. I just know I'm going to be plugged in on those teams because it's fascinating. I agree with you. And, and I know that it's, they're not in the same vein because it's a little different, but I'm throwing Minnesota in there in a way. As I a hundred percent agree with you because it's the same thing as Philadelphia. One of the best rosters in football last year. And all of a sudden you're adding a star to it. And in this case, it's the freaking quarterback. Oh, I'm going the other way. I mean, you looked at that stacked defensive roster and now Sheldon Richardson's just yep. on the defense. Yep. yep. And you go to the offense. This team won as many games as they did last year. They went to the NFC championship game. They were the best teams in the NFL. Dalvin Cook played four games. Yep. Dalvin Cook is just back now. So you're just throwing that amount of talent into that offensive auto. I mean, Let's I go. just think they're as stacked as some of those other teams, but because there wasn't that influx of huge names in the offseason the way that the Rams did or the way that the Eagles made those big plays for guys we're not talking about them as much but they're in a same they're in the same tier to me in terms of roster talent overall I mean we have some of the most stacked ro- stacked rosters we've seen in the salary cap era really I mean the, the, we understand how that happens it's because no, of course in, because in, in reality the salary cap has risen 10 million dollars a year for like six years well, that's true, but I also think that for the most part, your first round picks are still going to be more, most of your big stars. The hit rate is higher, higher in the first round, and the salaries for those guys are so much lower. I mean, yeah, Carson Wentz was still the number two pick in the draft, of course. and the fact that he is, I don't know what percentage cheaper than it would have been the year that Matthew Stafford, say, came into league or Sam Bradford. Well, I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, that, it's one, there are multiple factors at play here. I mean, there are several different things that lead to that being possible. Well, you think about the Lions. If the Lions had been, if the Lions had hit on the three draft picks they hit on in a quick succession, Calvin Johnson, Matt Stafford, and Dominican Sue, if they had done that in the post-rookie wage scale era, they would have been a freaking dynasty. Yeah, yeah. Instead, they got priced out. They had to give those guys so much money. Could you imagine 
cost-controlled Stafford, cost-controlled Sue. And I guess Johnson would have gotten expensive sort of at the, you know, in the midst of those rookie contracts. But, I mean, I, Super Bowl, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, without a and doubt. Think about, think about just like how incrementally cheaper the Rams players are than they would have been during that stretch. I mean, think about how much cheaper Todd Gurley is as a top 10 pick. Think about the fact that Aaron Donald is making what he's making this year. Those players didn't get the astronomical contracts that top two, top three, top five picks did, but they're still cheaper and it still allows you more flexibility than it would have. I mean, the Rams are kind of in that mold. They've hit on all these early picks. It's gone well, but they've been able to add tons of free agents just because those guys are so much less expensive than they would have been before. It's fascinating. I mean, I just, you can go and play that game the what would happen if these guys were had a had a modern day contract going back 10 20 years it would have changed the entire nfl yeah i mean it's really created the landscape that we currently have i, mean, I right, remember but, uh, i remember just real quick i remember bill parcells his first press conference as dolphins football czar when i was in college i remember being there and he was talking about you know the i, I guess you could say the the first pick in those days was almost a hindrance because it's, it was so expensive. And they negotiated the contract with Jake Long long before, and they got him because I think, you know, he he was amenable to this contract. He wasn't going to hold out and all that stuff. And if he does it now, maybe you give a longer look to Matt Ryan. You know, I mean, there were certainly better players in that draft than Jake Long. Um, and so I just think that that's, it's just a really interesting thing to think about as far as the, the how that would have changed history. Totally. I absolutely agree. All right, buddy, before we move on, let's take a quick break to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Football. Don't just be a fantasy football commissioner. Rule as a Yahoo Fantasy Football commissioner. No joke, Yahoo is the number one fantasy platform for commissioners on this planet. They've spent the offseason making serious upgrades to enhance your experience. Upgrades like easier scoring, new trophies, and a buttery, smooth app experience. All in the name of your squad coming together and owning this season. When the season is over, as commissioner, you get to pick the punishments. That's right, you're the commission, you make the rules, you run the league. So what do you say, Kamish? It's time for you to rule. Start your league now at yahoo.com slash the ringer fantasy football. We also want to tell you about Mint Mobile. The big in big wireless stands for a lot of things. Big contracts, big bills, and big fees. What big wireless doesn't want you to know is that there's a way to cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month with Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile is the game-changing company that's taken everything wrong with big wireless and made it right. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. You can keep your old number along with all your existing contacts, and every plan comes with unlimited talk and text. Choose between two, five, or 10 gig 4G LTE plans. No more paying for unlimited data that you'll never use. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven day money back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month plus free shipping on your Mint Mobile SIM card, go to mintmobile.com slash NFL. That's mintmobile.com slash NFL. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month and get free shipping on your Mint Mobile SIM card at mintmobile.com slash NFL. All right, so let's get to some team-specific stuff. You know, the 
rookie quarterbacks, that's more of a trend idea. Yeah. Some of the team-centric ideas that you feel like are kind of going under the radar right now. What do you want to so start with? So it's not under the radar on this podcast because we have one Danny Kelly, who, by the way, I called this morning to see if he was coming on this podcast. He's on vacation. He's in Charleston. He's having an amazing time. Good for him. That makes me it. happy. I, I love I, it. He deserves it. I love it. DK, just enjoying the South. Okay. <laughs> the Seahawks are fascinating to me. Because, okay. I, and let me tell you why. Because they have one of the best gifts you can possibly have, which is a franchise elite quarterback. They have Doug Baldwin, who, you know, um, PFF has come out with some numbers just talking about Doug Baldwin's efficiency. His ability to catch passes he's not supposed to catch in a way that is not consistent with normal uh, wide receivers. I mean, I think sometimes guys who have an abnormal catch year come back down to earth because they shouldn't be catching all those balls, and Doug Baldwin just keeps on trucking. He's amazing. So you have an offense that has pieces. You have an offensive line that's a complete disaster. Complete disaster. I mean, Football Outsiders Guide outlined this, but essentially four of their five starters were a tire fire last year. And then you have a defense that is totally rebuilding with a couple of interesting pieces. I mean, Bobby Wagner is an elite piece. K.J. Wright is a really good player. The Earl Thomas is as good a safety as there is in the NFL, but we don't know about his contract situation. And so you have, we talk about stars and scrubs in this league. I don't know a better example of a stars and scrubs roster right now than then the Seattle Seahawks. You have Nico Thorpe, who who's going to start this year, who I guess they like. Um, you know, the Griffin brothers, who are, you know, as incredible as as any story in the league, but they're going to be relying a lot on those guys on the defense. And so I just, I, I'm, ex- I'm ready for anything with the Seahawks. And they might be terrible, but I'm saying they have elite, elite players. At some positions. See, I don't know if they have elite, elite players on offense. That's my problem. I Russell, Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin, Baldwin. And then I'm very concerned. No, no, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying there's, I don't know many rosters like that where you have the elite quarterback and then you just have nothing around them except a wide receiver. There are not many yeah. of those because most teams in the NFL, when they have an elite quarterback, they push their chips into the middle of the table. Yeah. I mean, well, the Seahawks kind of did that for a couple of years. Of course they did. Of course they did. They're, just, they're on the downside of that cycle. I'm just saying, I mean, they, they're, let me be clear. They are coming off one of the best runs in the history of football. The team that John Schneider and Pete Carroll built in 2011, that run is one of the best and most innovative runs in the history of football. That cycle has ended. They're left with some of those pieces. And now the question is what's next? So the Seahawks on offense, as I look at them, Obviously, you know, Russell Wilson's always going to be intriguing, whatever. You're excited about that. And then you have the other elements that are much less exciting. Brian Schottenheimer being there makes me 10 times less excited about the Seahawks offensive ceiling. Then you go to the offensive line. It's no coincidence that every single one of those guys was a disaster last year. I think that the stat you're quoting is that four of those guys were, I want to say, in the top 10 in blown blocks over the entire season. The Football Outsiders Almanac quoted. And that is a product of coaching. It's a product of system. It's a product of those guys being completely out of their depth and just drowning. You know, we talk about organizational philosophies a lot. Teams go after certain statistics. Maybe you like yards after catch out of your receivers. Maybe you like accuracy and completion percentage from your quarterbacks. It is clear to me the Seattle Seahawks scout for blown blocks. Yeah, that's what they're after, which wouldn't surprise me. I need more blown blocks. So Mike Solari comes in as the offensive line coach in, in Seattle. 
Mike Solari is somebody that has been in the league forever. Okay. Uh, I mean, just is, since I've been covering the league, he's been a staple in the league. He was the San Francisco 49ers offensive line coach when the Niners had the best offensive line in football. You know, during that Jim Harbaugh stretch when it was, you know, Staley and, and Mike Ayupati and they were just running over people left and right. And then he was there for a few years. He went to Green Bay when there was some coaching changes in San Francisco and he was the assistant offensive line coach there. I remember talking to him when I was there that summer and he really seemed like he was enjoying being the assistant offensive line coach. Yeah. That he was able to kind of drift into the background a little bit. He was about to turn 60. It was just something that was like, all right, this is the state of my career now. I enjoy being around the game, but it's not as much on my plate. He goes with Ben McAdoo to the, to the Giants the last two years. And it's not as if those offensive lines were good. And it's not as if they were impeccably taught. You know, maybe guys like Eric Flowers are just broken and there's nothing you can do about it. He can't control the injuries. Weston Richburg, Justin Pugh being dinged up all the time, stuff like that. But it's not as if he's the guy that was coming from San Francisco in 2013 and you feel like this is going to work. Do I have more confidence in him than I did in my, Tom Cable? You, you better believe it. I absolutely do. But I still don't necessarily think it's some home run. And combined with Brian Schottenheimer, it's just something where you can see that falling apart pretty fast, despite whatever Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin can do. I want to talk about the offense again really quickly because I was watching, uh, in anticipation for the new Mission Impossible, I watched uh, Ghost Protocol. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, of course. I love those movies. So the premise of Ghost Protocol essentially is things get too hot and so Tom Cruise and Jeremy Renner and Rachel Roy have to basically disassociate themselves from everybody else in the government and pretend that they're dead and and fight their way out, okay? Back Back to normal life. Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin are going ghost protocol against everybody else on the Seahawks offense. They're fighting against... Dwayne Brown is good. Leave Dwayne Brown alone. He's he's the Rachel Roy in this situation. There you go. Throw him in here. Russell Wilson is Tom Cruise. Jeremy Renner. We got Doug Baldwin. And we got Dwayne Brown as Rachel Roy. Everybody else, you have Brian Schottenheimer, who is actively fighting against the talent that these three people have. You have the offensive line, which is going to get Russell Wilson killed at some point. I mean, it's just they are fighting an uphill battle. The the Seahawks have not built an offense that's conducive to those guys. I'm not willing to give up on some of the offensive linemen yet. I mean, like Pochich is going to be in his second year. But my question is, do they have the infrastructure? Is Solari, is that offense going to be able to get those guys where they need to go? Are they going to be notably better to the point where we're not just throwing them in that group of failed experiments that the Seahawks have tried? Is DJ Fluker going to be a decent... He was a decent run blocker for Solari the last couple of years. Can he continue doing that? Is that line going to be functional? And I just don't know the answer to that. And then, well, we don't know about Rashad Penny either. He's kind of a wild card in all of this. Yeah, he's fine. Who, who's your uh, your team to watch? I'm very interested in the Texans' defense. Mm. And that may seem like it's pretty under the radar, but I just feel like it starts with Watt, obviously. I yep. mean, Aaron, obviously, what, what Aaron Donald has done over the last couple of years, he has ascended to being the best defensive player in the league. Yep. It's undeniable. I think he's the best player in the NFL compared to players at his position. I've made that known. But it wasn't so long ago that Watt was in the midst of a historic stretch. I mean, the best three-year run maybe any defensive player has ever had outside of Lawrence Taylor. And if he can get back somewhat close to form, I think that we're forgetting just how damn good J.J. Watt was for a while. That is interesting to me. This is a group that went from ninth in defensive DVOA in 2016 to 23rd last year. 
So their advanced numbers outpace their offensive, their points allowed, things like that. But it's still a precipitous fall. And I know that they were so injured last year. One of the more injured units in the entire NFL, not only the big name guys, but just all over the place. You lose Watt, you lose Merciless. It just really, you see how much of a house of cards the rest of the defense is when that pass rush falls apart. Now that Romeo Cornell is taking back over, now that they have a chance to get healthy again, if Watt can be right, and then you throw Tyron Matthew into the mix just to do it. I mean, these are two guys who were the premium players on defense in the league just a couple years ago. Yep. And now if they can get back to health and that group can be one of the eight, 10 best offense or defenses in the league, and you have a version of the type of the Texans offense, that's not what we saw during that flash last year. That's just not sustainable. What Watson did everything else. But if they can have a reasonable NFL offense, a group that can be explosive, this team could contend to be in the playoffs And I think it's more about how the defense looks than the offense. I know the offense is going to be a step back from last season. I don't know what the defense is going to be. It's complete unknown. Oh, shit. I was knocking my, talking with my hands and knocking my headphones on my ears. The, uh, you're fired up up about this. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. I literally just knocked my headphones out of my ears. My Italian hands talking gets to me sometimes. I I think that they're just (laughs) such an unknown. It could go so many different directions and I really don't know which it's going to go. I totally agree with you. You know, when we talk about how a good team becomes a great team, one of those prerequisites is you have to find some bargains. And I'm of the theory that it is increasingly hard in the modern NFL where the GMs are a little bit smarter than normal, the coaching staff are a little bit smarter than than maybe 10, 15 years ago, not as much complacency among ownership. It's really hard to find those bargains. Um, The the Seahawks signing Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett in the same week is always going to remain the gold standard in the modern yes. NFL for for how to find value. I uh, think the Eagles I'll never forget that. The Eagles team last year, just getting Alshon Jeffrey on a on a one year deal, then extending it, that sort of stuff, keeping cap flexibility, getting Michael Bennett this year. And the honey badger for seven million dollars on a one year deal. That's an example of something that you're you you have a good chance, as long as he stays healthy of that being a damn bargain. And I know we turned down a little more money, but nobody made him the kind of wow offer, right? And so I think we're going to be looking back in November and saying, wait a second, why did we let this already good defense and already good team sign Honey Badger for $7 million? I just feel like he's going to be a a huge part of that defense on the back end. He's going to play a lot of safety because they're going to need him to. And the corners with Colvin coming in, you know, maybe that group is going to be better than it was last year. You know, we've seen those guys be solid NFL players, whether it's Jackson or Jonathan Joseph. I know Joseph's getting older, but it, there are just the elements involved here that could lead to them being a really good defense. And I think if they are, the offense is going to be good enough where they're dangerous. I was look after Drell Revis's retirement. I was looking up who has made the most cash in NFL history. Do you know how much money Jonathan Joseph has made? I'm Are, sure it's a lot. He has he has 10 million to go on this current contract. He has made already 72 million dollars. So first know what round that pick, is? He's right? a first round he's a first round pick. Yeah. And but he was only I mean it, it was spread out in 2006 he was only making the cash he made in 08 and 09 was less than a million dollars. What it is is signing a big free agent deal and finishing it. That's not normal. Yeah. That's not yeah. normal. Most guys sign the $50 million, $60 million deal. They get cut after three years. They don't get that cash in the back end. He was making $8 million in 2015, $7 million in 2016, $7 million last year. I mean, he 
not only did he sign the big contract, but he came through in a way what, where, in which it turned into, you got to pay me. So it wasn't, it was that, but it was also, so he didn't necessarily, he didn't fill, finish out those contracts. He was re-signed and restructured at right. the end you of know, them, I'm, but I just, he wasn't You stick cut. around, you stick yes. around. Yes. And Dominican Sue was not on the team anymore. So, you exactly. know, he's signing the deal he signed this year. He's not going to, so he's not going to stay with the Dolphins. Well, it's just stamping on 16, 18 more million at the end of every contract. That's what he's done. He's been around for a long time. And I mean, at his peak, he's been great. I mean, I think it's definitely nearing the end now, but they brought him back. That group has a chance to be pretty good. I think that Colvin may not look as good outside of Jacksonville. I mean, we see that all the time, but I still feel like he's a solid player. And again, if the front four is anything close to what we think it can be with just dominating games of Clowney in a contract year, everything else, what not. He's, this is his fifth year option, correct? Yes. So he's yeah. playing for a deal. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff involved here where I'm excited about it if it breaks right. All right. Before we hit a couple of pieces of news that came up in the last few days, let's take one more quick break. You owe it to yourself to experience the comfort and quality of a Burrow couch. Once you experience Burrow, your relationship with your couch will never be the same. Burrow brings style and comfort to a whole new level and ships to your door fast and free. Burrow sofas are ergonomically designed and so comfortable. Customize your Burrow sofa to match your style by selecting the color, size, armrest height, and leg color. It even comes with a built-in USB charger. I mean, that's fantastic. I know I'm always looking for an extra one. Enjoy 30 days of cozy on your comfortable Burrow, risk-free, or try out Burrow at one of their partner showrooms today. Customize your own Burrow and get $75 off your order by going to burrow.com slash NFL. That's B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash NFL for $75 off your purchase. Can't beat it. Burrow makes the luxury couch for real life. Before we get out of here, let's talk about a couple pieces of news that happened over the last few days. First of all, that Josh Gordon today online you know, released kind of a series of tweets and then condensed yeah. it to one screenshot of a note on his phone, more or less saying that he would not be at training camp for the start of camp. He's taking some time off for both his mental and physical health. What do you make of this? Do you feel like it's a huge deal? Do you feel like it's not a big deal? And what was your first thought? It is a wait and see. I mean, the most important yeah. thing is that uh, Josh Gordon gets uh, whatever, whatever he's, whatever his treatment plan is, that that comes and he does it in full. And, you know, John Dorsey supported him fully this morning. I think it's something to monitor. Um, I think that Josh Gordon, when he's on the field, is a top 10 most exciting player in the NFL. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was at his debut last year, his re-debut um, against the Chargers. And he made things happen. And he hadn't played in two years. And he looked like he played every week. And he is somebody the NFL needs because he brings a hell of a lot of excitement. And I just hope... Uh, Hope he he gets whatever he's dealing with and is ready for the season. I selfishly, you know, hope everything works out when we get to see him play football. But that's not nearly the most important thing, no. obviously. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's there are a few guys I enjoy watching more than Josh Gordon. And when you consider whether the Browns are going to be a team worth watching, whether they actually do bounce back, things like that, he's part of that equation. He's a big part of that equation. So they need him to be what they want to be. Yep. One thing I want to talk about just. And there's a broader training camp conversation related to that. What type of stuff with missed time do you care about? And what type of stuff do you not? Because I think that I'm of two minds about it. If a guy is getting time off because he's nursing an old injury, like, again, let's use the Bears as an example. 
Allen Robinson sat out today. He's getting yep. normal rest. He's come back from an ACL. That type of stuff doesn't worry me. But when guys are dinged up a lot in camp with new things and missing time they weren't scheduled to miss, that I worry about. And I think that's worth paying attention to. Do you agree? I'm going to tell a story. I remember being in Cleveland a couple of years ago. And Dwayne Bowe kept like going to the bathroom. Like he just kept leaving. Like or some, he just like would find ways to just go back inside. And I was talking to people who were sort of uh, connected with the organization around that time. And they were like, yeah, he just keeps doing that. And it's like, well, what's he do? What's he just doesn't want to practice? So he's just inventing, oh, man, I left the, the oven on. Like, I don't even know what it was. But Dwayne Bowe just kept bailing on reps. Like, that's not good. And meanwhile, Dwayne Bowe had five catches, 53 yards that year. And it was the end of his career. So that's the Dwayne Bowe thing. Um, I think it's it's a case by case basis. I'm not worried at all about Josh Gordon. Um, you know, to flesh it out a little bit, he Adam Schefter is reporting he didn't have any slip ups or failed tests with his you know his prior issues. Uh, quote from Schefter: His leave is proactive. It's a defensive gesture to get extra counseling to sh- to ensure he does not have any setbacks. So for Gordon, this is just the plan. I'm. I think everybody's probably on board with it. I think the issue is if a player is for some, if is is um, you know if a completely separately than this, um, you only worry in training camp when a player you know is asking out of drills or or you know doesn't want to do certain things or oh hey I don't want to practice this. I remember a couple of years ago, Joe Flacco wouldn't practice or wouldn't try when the when the Ravens tried to practice the Wildcat. Do you remember that? Yeah. So, you know, Ty, they had Tyrod Taylor play quarterback and Flacco was going to play wide receiver. They're always, uh, you know, put, putting quarterbacks wide receiver there in Baltimore. And Flacco was basically like, I hate this and I'm not going to try. And that's the kind of thing where it's like, just, it's like three snaps of practice, Joe. Just do it. Like, that's the stuff I, I look at more than a guy having an injury or whatever. I think anybody can can come up with this stuff. With the Josh Gordon thing, not an issue here. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Josh Gordon's um, future. All right, before we get out of here, let's talk about um, Tony Sperano, who yeah. sadly passed away this weekend. I mean, at the very young age. I mean, he was 56, I want to say. Yep. I mean, uh, that, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible story. I mean, obviously, the, yeah, apparently he went into the hospital uh, earlier in the weekend and had some tests done. He was going through some chest pains. And then, you know, um, he died overnight. I mean, I think it was that morning before he was about to head to practice. So... Yeah, I mean, a horrible story. Uh, really good coach in the 08 Dolphins. But Mays, you know, I mean, I think the thing he doesn't get enough credit for is how good an offensive line coach he was. Yeah. I mean, that that group was very good in Minnesota last year. And he and helped. He's turned, he, around, he, he's turned around a lot of offensive lines. He helped, he helped a lot, that group in Oakland. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was kind of the early days of that group in Oakland and everything else. Oh, and he was also I, the the interim coach. I mean, they went three and three yep. when they were not a good team. Um, yeah. I think that he 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 his legacy should be as both the guy who unlocked a really talented 08 team, and then just the fact that he was just a really good offensive line coach. I think he got miscast in a lot of roles. He was Rex Ryan's offensive coordinator with the Jets, which was just sort of a spinal taps drummer thing. I mean, that was just, everybody took a shot at that and it never really yeah. worked. It was just- That never works. Offensive line coaches just miscast those offensive coordinators for one single season for no reason, never goes well. Yeah, and he empowered that the offensive staff to unlock the Wildcat. I mean, there's not a lot of, especially in 08, you know, there were just not a lot of coaches who were going to let their their 
offensive coaches, David Lee and Dan Henning, do that. And I think he should be commended for being, quite frankly, an innovator. The 2008 Miami Dolphins are one of the more fun teams I can remember. Just a total surprise, so random, and they were enjoyable to watch. I remember where I watched them for most of that fall. I mean, it's just watching those Wildcat games. It was when I was in college, and it was just so much fun and so interesting and so different. And you just didn't see that much at that point in the NFL. It's just now you you have teams that are running RPOs and everything else, but back then it was really limited the teams that would try new stuff. Everyone was very staid, very similar. Just there was a lot of groupthink, and that team was different. Did you cover yeah. that team? Sure. Yeah, I, I covered I was in college, so I would cover every Friday practice um, for the Sun Sentinel. And I remember going back, going up there and he was, you know, he was a good personable guy. I think that in a lot of situations, I remember we used to talk about this as, as, as media In a lot of situations, Bill Parcells basically said there would be no there would be no friendly friendliness with the media. And so I think that hurt him a little bit. Um, I think he wanted to be friendly. I remember talking to him. He used to talk about, you know, pizza places in New Haven, Connecticut, that sort of thing. He wanted to open up, but I think there was a little bit of a distance because um, the regime just didn't didn't like the media stuff. But in our interactions, he was as nice and good a person as I've come across in the NFL. He really seemed to love his players, and I think that's yeah. been communicated. I think I, I made a talk to him one time in my life, and it was when I was in Oakland doing a story a couple summers ago. I was very young. He was very patient with me, but you know, just a, a kind man, I think, by all accounts. And you yeah, know, and, and I was you look sad at that the news. You look at that 08 staff that he put together, and you obviously have David Lee, who who was you know around for a long time as a quarterbacks coach. Todd Bowles was the secondary coach on that mm-hmm. team. James Saxon, who was the running backs coach for the Steelers, was on that team. Carl Durrell, who's still in the league, is on that team. George Edwards was the inside linebackers coach. Wow. Defensive line coach was Casey Rogers, who's a defensive coordinator now. Paul Pascaloni, who's the D coordinator for the Lions. John Bonamago, who's the uh, head coach at Central Michigan, I want to say. And Steve Hoffman, who went on to uh, be the Titans and Chiefs and Raiders uh, special teams coach, was the kicking coach. He was, in a, he was not the special teams coach there. And so... I mean, that's just a hell... Jim Reed, by the way, was uh, one of the position coaches. Now He's now a defensive coordinator at Boston College. I mean, that's a hell of a staff. That yeah. is a hell of a staff. Absolutely. All right, bud. Uh, I think that's all we got today. Anything else? No. Got nothing. All right. That's all we got for today. We will be back next week. Yes. And I think weekly from here on out, it's football season. So we're back at it. I am excited to be back at it. We will start our training camp tours next week, I believe, Kevin, right? We're going to be yeah. all over the place. Yep, we're going to be traveling so the country. We will uh, we'll be kicking around everywhere, but we will still be coming to you guys with everything we see here, all that. As always, thank you for joining us, and thank you for listening to The Ringer NFL Show on The Ringer Podcast Network. If you love to score amazing deals and incredible hotels, you'll love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool, top-rated hotels. Even though their name's Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. Book hotels in 10 seconds in just three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals and incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need.